have a question, comment, or concern? 872-242-8311. Or maybe you'd just like to hear your voice instead of ours. 872-242-8311. Then call the D2R Podcast Network hotline at USA Chat 311. That's 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. No matter the time or day, you can call 24-7 and operators will be standing by. 872-242-8311. Your call is important to us. 872-242-8311. So once again, USA Chat 311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. Hello, everyone. If your guy or girl's got some facial hair that's kind of not smelling right, not feeling right, not all that great, go to phoenixbeardoils.com today. We've got scents that every guy and girl will like. Every kid likes to play with your beard. Why not give them something to smell nice as well? Go to phoenixbeardoils.com and give somebody that great bird today. Check out all the great deals on Amazon by first going to D2RPN.com and clicking the Amazon banner. By doing so, you're helping out the D2R Podcast Network. Don't forget to tell a friend, and thanks for listening. Hey, Ryan. You know what time it is? Yeah, it's still time for the Twisted Crypt Haunted House. No way. Have they ever won any awards? Oh, my God, have they ever? This is their seventh season, and in the last six years, they've won top ten haunted house by hauntedillinois.com. Wow. What are their hours again? Oh, Fridays and Saturdays, 7 to 11.30, and Sunday, 7 to 10. But where are they located? Oh, it's easy. 5420 East State Street in Rockford, Illinois, right behind Uncle Nick's and Tom Jerry's. Awesome. I'll see you there. Hell yeah. Grounds. 
tell a tragic story. One of uncommon heroism and terror from the gilded tower that looms above. Hundreds of people running everywhere. I feared this was going to just be the first part of a multifaceted attack. Over the last year, much of that night has remained a mystery. We're trying to get more information now. How and why? At first, all we knew was what we saw captured on cell phones. But after a 10-month-long investigation by law enforcement in coordination with MGM using surveillance videos, body cameras, Let's go. radio traffic, and a 3D model, we can now present one of the most comprehensive views of a mass shooting ever exposing gaps in our system and showing the response moment by moment. Everybody's dead here, okay? October 1st, 2017. Mandalay Bay security officer Jesus Campos is on a routine security check, assigned to a room alarm on the 32nd floor. This was the last call of my night. You were heading home in your head. In my head, I was home free after this. He has no idea he's about to become an accidental hero on what would become one of the most horrific nights in American history. As shown in this rendering provided exclusively to ABC News by MGM, once on the 30th floor, he takes the stairs up to the 32nd, but finds the exit door jammed. So he walks up to the elevator and takes it back down. When did something seem off to you? Uh, when I noticed the metal L bracket that was secured, that hold the door secured. That bracket, strategically placed there by a man staying in the suite just a few feet away. I didn't know what was going on, just simply because that's not normal. I had a call our security dispatch. I was transferred to engineering dispatch. As he walks back into the hallway to check that room alarm, turns out a nanny a few doors down left their door ajar. He hears a strange noise coming from that suite. I thought it was drill noises. Like drilling? Drilling. The massacre has just begun. Across the street, just moments before, Jason Aldean had taken the stage in the final night of the Route 91 Harvest Festival. Bullets rained down on the 22,000 concert goers packed into the open-air venue. That's just a firecracker. Confusion mixes with panic. There's people just running everywhere. Nobody knows where to go. In under a minute, over a hundred rounds are fired into the crowd. Concert goers flood 911. There's numerous reports coming in. We have 33 calls holding. It's an active shooter. It's fireworks! Some dispatchers met with chilling silence. Hello, 911. Hello, 9-1. As the shooter launches his attack, Back on the 32nd floor, Campos, who is unarmed, continues walking down this hallway. He passes a room service cart that the shooter is rigged with surveillance cameras. It's either that or the sound of the stairwell door closing that alerts the shooter. 
He fires through the door and at campus. I was struck and I went to get cover. I had to take a moment to realize what was going on. Suddenly you're under fire. Yes, I went to go lift up my pant leg and I saw the blood coming down. Campos takes cover in this doorway alcove. There's about a two feet indent. It's enough to lean back and stay back. He radios for help. Hey, there's shots fired in uh, 32135. The shooter turns back to the concert goers below and fires over 250 more rounds in the next four minutes. Las Vegas Metro police officers respond to the scene. Control is advising there are people down on stage left. We have multiple casualties, CSWs in the medical class. Multiple casualties. Control, the advice, shots are coming forward, coming from stage left. Stay here, get cover. No, get behind cover. But they too come under attack. Can you see where it's coming from? No. The officers are pinned down by automatic gunfire. Officer Brady Cook is shot. The moment captured on another officer's body camera. We're going down! The echo of gunfire through the strip leads to mistaken reports of shooters in multiple hotels. Just reporting a shooting at the um, at the Tropicana Hotel. At the Tropicana? Yeah. There's been a lot of confusion. We're not exactly sure where the shooting is. Police now concerned this may be part of a coordinated plot. Deputy Chief Andrew Walsh responds to the scene. What sticks with me is that fear, that pain in my stomach that this was going to just be the first part of a multifaceted attack. There's an active shooter, possibly, uh, possibly not confirmed uh, terrorist related, of three shooters so far. We're getting reports of uh, shots fired at New York, shots fired at um, Tropicana. We don't know if the diversion tactics or not. Back in the hotel, two key moments are happening almost simultaneously. Across the Mandalay Bay from the shooter's position, guards in the security office are getting news of what's happening at the concert. We have an anchored shooter. We have an anchored shooter inside the warehouse. Watch as the officers head out and across the casino floor towards an exit door, thinking the threat is outside. Armed units only. Meanwhile, Stephen Schuck, an engineer, is riding an elevator to the 32nd floor in response to Campos's earlier call about that L-bracket. Pushing his maintenance cart, he walks out of the elevator and straight into danger. I started to hear the shooting out towards the crowd. Well, I didn't know that at the time. I had no idea what was going on at the time. What did it sound like to you? It sounded like a jackhammer because you never expect to hear something like that. I noticed him. I said, get cover. It's not safe. At that moment in time, there was more rounds being dispersed. Suddenly, Shuck himself is under fire. Something hit me in the back as I was jumping into cover. At the time, I was like, oh, you know, I might be shot. Someone's firing a gun up here. Someone's firing a rifle on the 32nd floor. Down the hallway. 
Those men from the security office hear Shuck's alert and hustle towards the elevators. I thought if I don't come out of this hallway alive, I wanted to communicate for Metro and first responders to get up there because this is where the shooter is. Every second that Campos and Shuck are under fire on the 32nd floor is a chance for the concert goers below to flee. So all those people had fled in that direction when right. the gunshots rang out. A lot of people did, yeah. I mean, people right. went in multiple directions, but not knowing where the rounds were coming from, you know, people fled. For Paige Melanson, running was an agonizing choice. She and her mother were both shot. We rolled her over, um, and a retired firefighter came over, and he told us that we had to go. He said that if we wanted to live, that we needed to go. I looked into his eyes, and, and he said, you need to go. So I did. We were jumping fences, jumping walls, going through. Um, we ended up in the Tropicana. Paige and her sister fled, leaving their mom, Rosemary, behind in the care of a stranger. Once I was shot, I fell down. Stephanie and Paige were hanging over me, saying, Mom, just screaming my name, Mom. And next thing I know, my body just floated. Floated up. I could hear the gunfire. I could see everybody. I could see my, my own body laying down there. The next thing I know, I was in heaven. And uh, I saw my dad and my two brothers and my uncle. And it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. You didn't want to come back. They just told me, it's not your time, Rosemary. you got to go back. It's not your time. And so the next thing I woke up, I was on a gate that they put me on that dragged me to the ambulance. You remember that? Yeah, but only like 20, 20 seconds of it. And then the rest of it, I don't remember nothing. That retired firefighter kept his word, getting her to safety. Come on, guys! Hundreds flood into the nearby streets. where they set up makeshift triage wards. I'm going to sit down and get him on my knee, okay? He's not, he's not shooting anymore. Okay. We hanging in there? Okay, I got to keep that pressure, sweetheart. The situation's so dire, police officers step in as paramedics. You see officers stopping to render aid. You see officers bleeding from bullet wounds. Can you get an ambulance here, like, real quick? They're all coming right now. Okay, because she got a gunshot to her lungs. The injured carried away any way they can. Oh my god! Right now, we need your truck. We just need to get people over to the hospital, okay? Okay. We have room in here, we have room for one in the next. In the midst of the chaos, police work to keep everyone calm. Hang in there, please. Hang in there. You guys are going to be okay. We'll be back. Started off just like any other normal shift. Uh, Brandon was my trainee that night. It was his second night on the job. Rookie Brandon Engstrom and veteran officer Richard Cole were just beginning their graveyard shift when the shooting began. Our sergeant had the radio on. Shots came out over the radio. So immediately he yells at us to go to our cars. Be advised, it is automatic fire. Fully automatic fire from an elevated position. Take cover. While we're driving there, we can hear every time somebody keys up their microphone, 
on duty, we can hear automatic gunfire. As soon as we show up, it's time to go to work. Try to help anybody we could right off the bat. Keep going, everybody, keep going. And then that's when we met Frank. He came over to our car, and he's carrying uh, his wife, Giovanna, in his arms, and he said, help me, I'm a police officer. Get out of the car! Help me pick her up! She appeared lifeless. At that point, we obviously knew that this was very critical. I remember within the first 30 seconds to a minute of us driving to the hospital, we heard that an officer had been shot, and Brandon realized that that was somebody he went to the academy with, and I remember him saying, My buddy just got shot. That officer, Brady Cook, who moments earlier had been pinned down with that team of officers under fire. Like Brandon, it was Officer Cook's second day on the job. That all in itself was tough. All I could think was, we have to get Giovanna to the hospital immediately. And, and all I wanted to do was help both. Just driving as fast as we can, and Frank's in the back seat, and he's yelling at Giovanna to hang on. One minute, man, one minute. Keep talking to her, put pressure on the wheel. Make sure you're doing chest compressions, man. I remember uh, banging on the window, and I hear Brandon in the front. He's telling me, too, hey, you know, keep doing chest compressions, and we're almost there. Brandon and I carried Giovanna into the hospital. At this point, she had blood. She was bleeding everywhere. Like her entire body was covered in blood. And we carried her into the uh, emergency room. And I just remember yelling, "Hey, I have a gunshot wound to the head. Where do you want her?" set her down and that was like the first moment that you had to a chance to take a breath and I looked down and I'm covered in covered in blood. <laughs> I looked at Brandon. He said, what are we doing? He said, let's let's go, we gotta go back. Shannon, call the police. Someone's firing a gun up here, someone's firing a rifle on the thirty second floor down the hallway. Inside the Mandalay Bay, Stephen Shuck, the engineer pinned down on the 32nd floor with security guard Jesus Campos, have alerted authorities to the shooter's location. Watch for weapons of the people coming out. We're on the top right now. Police spread out, sweeping through the hotel, looking for other threats. You got two behind you already. Central police, you're in here, sound off! Waking stunned guests in the process. Sir, are you hurt? Clearing rooms, floor by floor. Central police, put your hands up! There's an active shooter in the hotel, okay? Stay locked in your room, thank you. Yeah, 1,400 people. 
Ten minutes have passed since the first gunshots. By this point, the shooter has gone quiet. On the 32nd floor, Shuck and Campos escape to safety as police and security work to get the guests out of their rooms. They worry that room service cart is rigged with a bomb. You have police officers on a floor. What are they confronted with? They find out if it's a two-story suite or just one. They get close enough to that room. There's wires. There's cameras. What are they walking into? Is that an IED? Is there more than one person? How many people are there? We had nothing. Let's go. Let's go. Ready? Let's I'm ready. Ready? Back. back. Watch your booby trap. There's a car right in front of the room. Cover asses. Nobody comes out of the elevator. You, you. You got long? I got shotgun too. Copy. We should be a floor below you. One floor below, a SWAT team makes their way to that stairwell. Shield up, shield up. You guys are doing a phenomenal job, by the way. Beers are on me later. Metro! Right next to the shooter's room, they game out how to make entry. They force open that bolted door. Kill the light, concealing their position, and rig the door to the suite with an explosive strip. Stand by for breach. Then Stand a by warning. Breach. 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 Everyone in the hallway needs to move back. All units move back. Breach, breach, breach. Okay, cover on that. In with you. They find the shooter dead by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Weapons scattered about. He put cameras up on the peepholes and all that. That's what these wires are. We're doing another breach. Another breach. They prep a second breach to clear the adjoining room. We need the air receiver to at one suspect down inside the room. In both rooms, over a thousand gun shell casings and an unimaginable cache of weapons. Over. Guys, everything's okay. We took. He's dead. Okay. Just go straight down to the side end. Yeah. Poor lady. Hey guys. Hey. News spreads across the hotel. They went in. And then the doors were then cleared after that. Anyone, anyone dead up there? Uh, one down. For the thousands of guests that have been sheltering in place. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Relief. We have no control over the actions of evil people, but we're here now. Thank you. A devastating national tragedy in Las Vegas, claiming 58 lives and leaving hundreds injured. As a nation, it's as if we've grown desensitized to the horror of mass shootings. But the Las Vegas massacre seemed different. The deadliest mass shooting in American history. The shooter from his perch high up and far away, exposing the fact that nowhere is too far or too secure for a bullet's reach. 
For days, the festival grounds remain frozen in those moments of terror. As authorities work to calculate the totality of the disaster. It's hard to comprehend what happened, even to this day. The final toll, staggering. 58 dead, over 850 injured. The deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. After the shooting, we went back, and then our next job was to clear the concert grounds and look for anybody who was still alive and hiding. And then after that was done, our, our job for the rest of the morning was actually standing over <clears throat> standing over some people who were passed away over until the coroner could come and pick them up until about 8 in the morning. Later that morning, they head back to the hospital to check on Officer Brady Cook and that young woman they had carried in. I said, let's, let's go down to uh, trauma and see if we can get the name of the girl that we brought in. I thought for sure that she probably didn't make it. And then we talked to a nurse, and I said, hey, you know, we brought this girl in last night. She was, oh, yeah, I remember her. And they said she's up on, like, the third or fourth floor in the ICU. And I was stunned that she was still alive. We went up to uh, the neural ICU and saw her laying in. <clears throat> Going to the hospital and learning that she's actually still alive was kind of like sunshine to a dark day. I saw it in their face that they were they were hurt by this and they could, you know, and I kept telling them, you know, hey, be proud, you know, you, you guys got my wife here. For Frank and Giovanna Calzadias, their swift actions meant the difference between life and death. You know, there's nothing but love for those two guys. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm speechless. I, I don't know what words to say to them that I'm grateful. They saved my life. In the days after the attack, the dark portrait of the man at the center of the massacre came into focus. The shooter, 64-year-old Stephen Paddock, a retired accountant and real estate investor, at one point a net worth of just over $2 million. But the scale and scope of what he did and how he did it remained a mystery. September 25, 2017, security camera footage captures Paddock arriving at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino six days before the attack. He's a high roller a regular at the hotel. He was a very typical guest. He was, in our estimation, the lowest risk type of individual. No alarm bells going off. Paddock checks into a suite on the 32nd floor, and he's given the VIP treatment, allowed to bring his luggage up through a service elevator. He just looks like a middle-aged guy with a lot of luggage going up to a room. In the Mandalay Bay, a sprawling metropolis of restaurants, nightclubs, and over a hundred thousand square feet of gambling. He is only one man in a sea of thousands. 
Over the course of the next six days, under the ever-watchful eyes above, Paddock moves about the hotel, where he's known to gamble tens of thousands of dollars at a time. He can be seen playing the slots, making a purchase at the resort shop, and leisurely walking around. He preferred to play video poker machines. He would uh, stay at that for hours on end. And spend the nights here? Yes. Literally through the night? Over the course of his stay, he makes several trips to his house in Mesquite, Nevada, and brings in case after case after case of luggage. 21 suitcases in all, full of guns and ammunition. Four days into his stay, he checks into an adjoining room on the 32nd floor, using the name of his girlfriend. Authorities say he'd already wired $150,000 to her in the Philippines. Finally, the investigation shows on October 1st, he orders room service and rigged those surveillance cameras before he brings in a final batch of suitcases and locks himself in his room. This will be the last known footage of Stephen Paddock alive. Since the night of October 1st, the story of what happened in this hallway on the 32nd floor has only been talked about, never seen, until now. Jesus was coming here to check this door, which had been left ajar by a nanny who wanted to check on the kids across the hall. Chunks of wall are missing because it's been taken out as evidence because shrapnel and bullets were flying down this hallway, shot from all the way in the other end. And as we get closer to where the shooter was hiding out, you can see more of the debris, more of the drywall, more of the soot. Behind this door, investigators would find 24 weapons ranging from AR-15s with bump stocks to AR-10s with armor-piercing bullets, which are legal to buy, but illegal to sell. He fired more than a thousand rounds in 10 minutes, but he still had over 5,000 rounds of live ammunition. A person can, in our country can go out and buy that many weapons and not break the law until one of those kills a human being is, is a challenge for law enforcement. A lot of people looked at the arsenal and said, how could a man bring that much of an arsenal into a hotel. You know, my first response to that is there are thousands of people walking through the front door, our back door, uh, from the parking garage with luggage. We greet and welcome. And our first priority is to say, welcome. We're glad you're here. That's our first responsibility. Once I saw the arsenal that was up there, uh, it's sickening. Since the attack, the Mandalay Bay has implemented new security measures. There are clearly random checks going on. How are dogs being used? Well, I think typically as a canine program to basically screen for things that we are concerned about. And authorities say casinos are now monitoring their visitors more closely. The casino industry is a fantastic partner for our town. The changes they've made with room checks and with who they're allowing to have rooms that overlook outdoor venues, both on the Strip and in downtown, they've been great partners for us. But now, more than a year later, we still don't know the answer to the big question. Why? What do you know definitively about right. his motive? Yeah, nothing. Other places have had mass casualty incidents where the shooters and gunmen have left behind manifestos. In this case, we just don't have that. The shooter may have taken his motive to the grave, but MGM says the massacre was still clearly an act of terrorism that the company argues they're not legally responsible for. Last summer, they made the controversial decision to sue over a 1,000 victims of the Las Vegas attack. 
Citing a law passed after 9-11, MGM has gone to court arguing they are not financially liable because the security company they hired for the concert was federally certified against terrorist attacks. Survivors of the Las Vegas massacre now speaking out after they're now being sued by the owner of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. The company, aware of the backlash, says that MGM's lawsuit is simply a legal maneuver and not meant to be an insult to those who were injured or killed in the attack. You got hit with a lot of negative headlines in the past few months. Mm -hmm. What do you want the public to know? Well, I think uh, the main thing you want us to know is that uh, uh, this, is a, this is a small city, uh, and it's a big family. The community depends on Mandalay Bay. We're a community serving a community. And so uh, that is our focus. We can mourn what's going on, but we want to work together to look to the future and that there's hope. The lawsuits are currently suspended while MGM and the survivors involved are in mediation. Survivors like Rosemarie Melanson and her two daughters, Stephanie and Paige. It has been such a year for you guys. We first talked to the Melansons last year, just a few days after the attack. They say it grazed about an inch or so deep. Paige was shot in the arm, but her mother Rosemarie's injuries were far worse when Paige and her sister were forced to leave her in the care of a stranger. Tell me what that bullet did to her body. Well, it came in from the upper right uh, chest, and then it uh, went sideways, and it severed where the esophagus meets the stomach. It broke some ribs. It tore through her intestines, but hit her liver, her spleen. Um, and then when she was on life support in that first week, she was going into kidney failure as well. My mom's always been there for us, and so her not talking back to us, that was the hardest part for me. As part of their own healing process, the Melanson sisters relied on the Las Vegas dance studio they own. Dance has always been an outlet for us, and whether we're happy, those emotions come through. If we're upset, those emotions come through. That is our way to express ourselves. On her first day back to work after the attack, Paige let those emotions lay bare through dance. I chose the song Rise Up. It just felt so good to move again and so good to interpret, you know, what I had been feeling over the last three weeks. What were you feeling in that moment? Relief, because doctors had said that, you know, it was going to be a long road, but my mom was going to make it. Okay, going downstairs. After nearly a year spent in and out of the hospital, <laughs> Rosemary is heading home for good. We're going to miss you, girl. I want you to take care of yourself. Yeah, you can take your bath again. But the road to full recovery for Rosemarie will be a long one. Just last month, the Department of Justice allocated close to $17 million to assist those affected by the shooting, money that could help families like the Melansons. What did you learn about your wife through all this? Well, um, how resilient she was how strong a person she was. What did you learn about yourself during all this? That I'm stronger than I thought I was. And what have you learned about your family? That they're stronger than what they, what I gave them credit for. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems everywhere you look, one year on, signs of that strength throughout the community. The city of Las Vegas came together almost as one big family. And they're still supporting each other, uh, despite 
the, the tragic event that happened. People still walk down the street, especially the tourists on the strip. They see us and they thank us for everything we do. All the first responders, paramedics, EMTs, for responding so fast. And also the people on the ground that were getting injured people into their vehicles and taking them to the hospital. I just thought that um, those, to me, are just my heroes, you know. You saved countless lives down below. What goes through your mind when you think that? Just doing my job. I did it to the best of my ability, and then some. These two unlikely heroes, now back to work, carrying with them one solemn vow. I feel like I got a second chance, and 58 people didn't, and I need to live a good life to honor them. The brother of the Las Vegas shooter, Stephen Paddock, spoke to reporters just moments ago in Orlando. A word of caution, we understand there is some adult language being used here. Let's listen in. Um, I, someone texted me. First thing is thank you, whoever texted me. my truck. texted me, I don't know who, Reuters or somebody texted me, thank you, that with an update that I didn't have because I was I took my mom to the doctor. How's your mom Supposedly doing? Supposedly steep. I'm sorry? How's your mom doing? She's okay. I mean, I mean, do you want that kind of background uh, real quick about my mom? I mean, my mom was born in the Depression. She's had a tough life. Her husband was an asshole. A total asshole. He ran off, left her with four kids. She raised four kids on a secretary salary in the seven, you know, in the sixties and seventies. And some of us weren't real good kids. I mean, you guys are probably going to investigate me. I wasn't a wonderful human being when I was a kid. We were bad kids. Okay, that's you know, at some level, we were troublesome kids. We were, grew up poor on the side of the freeway in the San Fernando Valley in California. I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to go too much into this, but if, to how we were formed, I, we're just people. The, my mom has had a tough life, and here's where it goes in, where branches into Steve, the Steve that we knew. Steve made my mom wealthy. He, he's the one, he's the reason why she's, he's, 
it's not he's not the only reason she did this herself a lot of it okay but he helped make her retirement very comfortable you know he's the reason she's very very comfortable right now she wouldn't have been as comfortable because you don't make much money as a secretary in the 70s raising four kids okay steve is the reason that she has substantial she has substantial funds right now and is comfortable that's the steve i that's the steve i know okay now the other thing is the i someone said that mary that, that steve transferred 100,000 dollars woo 100,000 dollars we're wealthy people. $100,000 isn't that much money, A, and I'm sorry if that hurts people or something, but $100,000 isn't that huge amount of money. He gambled that much through a machine in hours. I mean, we're, once again, you need to understand. That's what people need to understand, the level where some people live. I guess everybody thinks that everybody works at Taco Bell or something. Everybody doesn't work at Taco Bell. There's wealthy people who do this. If you're going to condemn Steve for being a high-stakes gambler, the hotels are not going to be very happy with you. Go find everybody. Go find everybody and interview them who has a card. If you're going to call Steve crazy for gambling the way he gambles, go find everybody at the hotels who has a. Have the hotels tell you everybody who's got a gold. You know he's got the highest level of membership card at, at a lot of these hotels. If these hotels say they don't know Steve, they're lying. But would that transfer indicate some sort of forethought, you think, maybe? Or was that? A, did he routinely send her money of the... My mom? Know? Or Mary Ann? He... The, Mary Lou? I'm sorry. Okay. Steve took care of the people he loved. He helped make me and my family wealthy. <laughs> I mean, he's the reason I was able to retire. Three years ago when I got really burnt out doing the job I did. I mean, this is the Steve we know. We knew. He's the people he loved, he took care of. He didn't have a lot of friends. You know, he was a private person. There's a story about that he's, oh, he kept his windows, his shades closed, and he didn't talk to me for the first three times he saw me walking in the neighborhood. Wow. That makes him really weird, doesn't it? He was a private guy. That's why you can't find out anything about him. That's why there's no pictures. Is, is he such a weirdo because he didn't have a Facebook page and posted 50,000 damn pictures of himself every day? Who's weird? Can you sympathize that people are maybe grasping for any I'm, sort of explanation? I'm, I'm not. I'm, believe me, I sympathize with everybody who's grasping. Who on this planet do you think is grasping for this understanding more than me? <laughs> okay. I mean, once again, my heart goes out in, I mean, my son called me today and he cried on the, he's, he's just crushed by this. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with him. Nothing. But he's just totally crushed by this. And I'm, I mean, this is why I'm not a crying kind of guy. I'm an old school kind of guy. My wife stayed home and raised my kids. I went out and earned the money. I'm an old school kind of guy. I'm, I'm the guy who takes care of everybody else. I'm, this crying thing is not my normal gig. Okay? I'm... I, I can't even process this yet, really. I mean, it's just started. I woke up this morning crying. It's like, okay, I'm... You know, today it's being noticed. Now, back to Steve. Enough about me. I was right about 
I guess that he's, you know, hopefully more being proved that, of course, Steve did this all by him. This is 100% Steve did this by himself. People can't seem to cope with that either. But Steve is a, was, was a highly intelligent, highly successful person. He could have done anything he wanted to do. And he did. He made himself wealthy. He made us wealthy. He was a very successful person. He gambled for 20 plus years successfully. It's like a job to him. He did it mathematically. He did it because it was a way to have a fun life and and make and he didn't go poor doing it. Now that may have changed. I don't know. The hotels, the hotels the, the hotels know. They know whether he lost money or something because he never would have gambled for a second without putting the card in. Because you don't get your points and stuff if you don't have your card in the machine. You don't get your comps. But still no clue as to why he would do something No like clue whatsoever. Here's the clue for the day. Someone says he transferred $100,000 to the Philippines. Mary Lou is... Yeah, they say she's Australian, I guess. But, I mean, at the base, she's Filipino, I believe. I mean, I, <laughs> she's Filipino. I mean, I think because she might have... But she has a lot of relatives. I mean, they've been to the Philippines multiple times. I mean, she has relatives. He's, I mean, she went there to visit her family, and he went there and surprised her by showing up there. He loved Mary. I mean, he he loved slash loves Mary Lou, even if they broke up for some reason or something. We find out, and that I don't know. Would he have told me that? Maybe not yet. You know that kind of thing. That's the. I mean, they make jokes about the guys on the golf course who. You know, golf for three hours, and the wife asks him afterwards, you know, oh, what's what's happening with his wife? He didn't talk about his wife. I mean, these are people who meet on the golf course every week. Okay, so, and, and people joked at me about that I didn't know whether Steve was married or not. Steve did anything he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. He was an independently wealthy no ties attached guy. If he wanted to get on a plane and go to Japan and have sushi tomorrow, he did that. Now, he probably tried to get the casino to pay for it by saying he was going to go to a casino there or something. But this will all come out when the, if the casinos aren't lying. They comp him. I mean, he got lots of money in comps. To have him gamble with them, they would comp him for lots, okay? So the $100,000 for Mary Lou, and it's what I sent back, I mean, I'll just try to say what I said before. That's the Steve I know. That's That's something that makes sense. Steve would have wanted to take care of Mary Lou. Now, this is my, I may be wrong for the day because I haven't talked to Mary Lou. I'm, we're not going to, I mean, we're not going to chase her. I mean, when she wants, to, if, she, if and when she wants to talk to us, we're here. But, I mean, I, I don't know what the situation is because maybe Steve wouldn't have told me if they broke up because that's just the kind of, and for Steve, breaking up is a fungible thing because he still knows and hangs out with occasionally and talks to and, you know, that kind of stuff, his relation, previous relationship people. There's no, I mean, it's not like he hates them when he breaks up with them kind of thing. I mean, from the experience. Eric, given what you know about your brother, what are the types of clues that you think will reveal why he did this? There are no types of clues. That's the problem. The clue that reveals Steve 
is that he transferred $100,000 to the Philippines to take care of Mary Lou. And you guys think he's an evil genius. How can you not think that it's very easy that he manipulated Mary Lou? Mary Lou's a smart lady, I'm not saying. But he could have very easily... The reason they found this stuff in the, in the Mesquite house... He could have very easily not gone. He had multiple houses and any, I mean, a bunch of the hotels, not any hotel, but many of the hotels, he walks in and says, give me a room. They give him a room for a week. Do you feel manipulated? Do you feel by Steve? Do you feel misfit? Not in any way, shape, or form, because I understand, once again, the Steve I knew. Here, okay, Steve's manipulation. It was fun to hang out with Steve because he was a rich guy who hung out in the hotels. Okay? When, here's, a, I told this story already. When I drove out to pick my son up to bring him back here, we came back through Vegas to see Steve because I want my kids occasionally to see their uncle. You know, but we live on different coasts than that. So when we're in the vicinity, we try to see him. I mean, I would have seen him more recently this year. We were out in the motorhome in Yellowstone, but we were going to go by Reno and see him, and but we didn't make it because it snowed on us, and da-da-da-da-da-da. So I didn't see him. But we, I, with my son, we stopped. We ate in one of the best, in the Fusion restaurant, I highly recommend, the, the Fusion restaurant, I can't think of the name, but the Fusion restaurant at the Wynn. We ate thousands of dollars of sushi, comped. You know, you can find the date because when they look at Steve's records, his credit card paid for the tip. And that's it. And we ate thousands of dollars of sushi. So it was fun to be with Steve. If you were Steve's friend, he would spend money on you. But did he have a lot of friends? No. That's, once again, that's where we're getting to with Mary Lou. That's why that makes sense. I mean, as, as what must be that Steve was cratering into this hell that he wanted to take care of Mary Lou. He sent some money where it's available to her. I don't know if they can claw it back or da-da-da. Maybe he, I mean, you know, if it was Steve, he probably sent it to a bank where it got turned into cash in the Philippines or something and was withdrawn or something because he probably was. Steve, if you want to think Steve's an evil genius, how can you not think it was easy enough for him to come up with a scheme to take the money and have it available for Mary Lou in a place where she would be safer to be, he wanted her, and I may, this is today's thing I might be wrong about. He wanted, he manipulated her to be completely as far away from this and safe when he did this. Because maybe if he wanted to, I mean, he wanted to make sure she had money. She wanted to make sure the same exact thing, the first thing that came to my mind was that she didn't get shot because she was walking through the hotel when the cops came in and her picture started flashing or something. It must feel so ironic that he would take such great care of her, yet no, such so disregard this, for Well, others. the I, ironic, yes, I guess that's not exactly, I don't know a better word for it, but yes, but the people he loved, he took care of, and as he was descending into hell, he wanted to try to take care of her. Is that why this is so hard to wrap your head around? That's exactly. The Steve I know, this is like he knew he had brain cancer and was going to die in six months. He's not the kind of guy who would have gone into the hospital for treatment. He would have died. Now, how this, I mean, once again, how this happened, that what he did, but he would have taken care of Mary Lou because he took care of the people who he was friends with, who he was with. And, you know, if you think he's such an evil genius, he, and how 
could he not just manipulate Mary Lou, they could have not gone to their house in Mesquite because they stopped in Reno. And then she flew down to see her parents or her, her, her kid or something, and he flew over here. And they, they I mean, there's, he, him getting on a plane and flying somewhere is like you going to Publix. I mean, it's something he just does every, every week. Use the phrase evil genius. Do you think that he I'm, was? I'm sorry. I mean, that's the thing I shouldn't have said. But that's what people are, I mean, that he's this, you know. But he's a highly intelligent. What I mean, there's absolutely no, and this is the other part that I want to stress with this. That it. I mean, it doesn't matter that they won't chase people. But people are saying, oh, he must have had help. Steve had no help. Steve didn't take help. It did not take a village for Steve. Steve was an arm. I'm sorry. Please don't. I'm using a colloquial, I was about to use a colloquial term that would besmudge one of the armed forces. Steve was a standalone guy. Okay? Steve, if, if you wanted to hang out with Steve, you hung out with Steve, but you had to understand Steve was a little quirky. Here, I mean, here's the story. You know, here's how Steve is. I would go, you know, when I was flying or whatever, if he was in town and I happened to be flying over, I'd stop in where, you know, we'd go to the hotel and stay at the hotel for a couple days or something and sit under the cabana or something like that. But with Steve, it was, it was like, he'd spend, you know, he'd, I'd get, I'd get to be partake of a bunch of thousands of dollars of comps on the hotel, but Steve would say, oh, can you go get me a sandwich? Well, of course, I knew. I mean, someone might not understand that, you know, that that's the cost of being with Steve, is that you have to, you would go get him a sandwich if he needed a sandwich. Because Steve didn't want to, you know, this this nonsense about how did he get the guns into the, you take a $100 bill and you hand, oh, I'm sorry, you take a $100 bill and you hand it to the bell cap and they go, oh, Mr. Paddock, oh, hi. Oh, you got a couple bags today? Okay, we'll take those up. I mean, there's no magic there. If you want to, if you're going to call him crazy, if, you, if, if we were going to call him crazy because he's an angry person, then you had better call everybody on the news from 4 o'clock to 12 o'clock at night a crazy person. Okay? That's the end of the day. Was he an angel? Of course he wasn't an angel. Did he about people who annoyed the crap out of him? Of course he did. Well, uh, but I'm not talking about that. I mean, I, I, I you know, I... Find, you find me anything, anywhere. People who who have no reason to tell you that he was a, a nice guy. People who used to pay him rent. I mean, the story about the about our apartments that we have. The guy says, oh, and by the way, you know, the place sucked when we moved it, when we bought it. We fixed it up and made a nice place for these people to live. And Steve gave them, I mean, gave them cheap rent because we wanted happy people nice people in our apartments. He said, yeah, he had a quirky sense of humor. Well, what the hell's a quirky sense of humor? People watch movies where they butcher little kids. What the hell are you... This is why everybody... And here's my diatribe for the day. This is what everybody's so scared about right now. When Steve can do this, we are in deep shit. Because there's just nothing there. You find me where... Someone who's like Steve, 
does this, I hope the hell they find when they do the autopsy that there's a tumor in his head or something. Because if they don't, we're all in trouble. Because this is... Steve was just... I mean, Steve's dead. You can't say anything bad about him anymore because who cares? Say whatever you want about him. I don't... It's not going to hurt me. Something horrible happened to my brother. And whatever happened to him in his head that made him go over the edge like this, you don't... You know, when the lights go out at night and you lay your head on your pillow, this is you and me. I mean, come on, guys. This is what everybody's so scared about right now. Is an autopsy being done? I sure hope so, but we have no control. Someone asked me about, do I know what they're... I mean, my mom wants his her son's ashes. I don't have any idea how to... Nobody's contacted me. I mean, who knows what they do. Are we going to have a... Are we going to have a, a funeral? Steve wasn't into funerals. Steve was into being alive today. If you wanted to have a... If you wanted to have a party, go hang out while people are alive. That was how Steve lived. Funerals weren't... You've been able to speak with us so much, and you've been so good about talking to us. How have you been able to keep such a level head throughout all this? I know you said you had a stressful job, but... Because I'm an old-fashioned guy. My life has been... You know, I'm going to say my life hasn't been wonderful, and then some poor guy who's, you know, got cancer and his mom, you know... You know, someone's got a worse life than me. I'm... I have lived and I don't want to talk about me because I'm just a I'm and this is what sucks I'm going to use the same terms I'm just a guy here's Eric Paddock I was the youngest son I grew up with a single mom Steve was like the dad sir he took me camping I had a tough time I did dumb stuff when I was a teenager Okay, I didn't. I have no criminal record or any of that stuff because I'm smarter than the average bear, and I knew to hang out with people who were dumber than I was and who would get caught faster. Okay, bottom line, that's how it works. Have you asked yourself why? I mean, you really love you know Vegas and the gaming life, and, and why would he choose a casino to? I mean, not, not, not that you know, but have you asked yourself why he would take a love so well, much? Well, of course, and... absolutely. It's not that he, Steve didn't love it; it was a job. I did a job for 30 years that I wasn't all that crazy about, but I made a lot of money. Okay? I didn't love my job. I pretty much hated my job, but I made a lot of money. I I created four children successfully. I I have a house. I have a retirement. I get to go drive around in my cheap little motorhome now. It's it's not... Steve didn't love the casino. The casino was a, a means to an end. The casino to him was like a job. It was like a job at Toyota in Japan where you live in the Toyota apartments across the street. And then you go to the Toyota factory to work. That's what the casino, that's all the casino was to him. It was a place where you lived and they were nice to you and you made, and you could get it paid for by playing slots. What would you say to families who are trying to get What I'm saying, I'm, I'm crying. You know, you say, how am I holding up? I woke up, you know, and once again, it's, I'm not a crying kind of guy. I'm the guy, I'm the guy who helps everybody else. Go around and ask my neighbor, the lady who pulled in, I helped her husband pull a tree off his house and stand up his, I'm the kind of guy who goes around and helps. 
I'm just that, I mean, sorry, I'm just that kind of guy. Was I, I'm extremely lucky in life, you know, I, but I work for it a lot. I mean, go find my history. I worked a billion hours and, and was not home with my family and, and et cetera, et cetera. I'm, but I'm not guilty for being successful. But for all the rest of the people, for all the, here, I mean, once again, please. I'm just wanting to know what you say to the families, of the victims who are trying the family, to understand, to get insight. Think about Steve, however you have to think about Steve. Here's my, here's my statement. If we have to have a funeral for Steve, here's how pragmatic, this is pr how pragmatic I am. If having a funeral for Steve and letting all these people come and spit on his grave will make them feel better in any way, shape, or form. I'm, I mean, I'm using the far end here. Come on, guys, give me, a little, give me a little stretch here. If having a funeral for Steve would help anybody, I will do whatever is possible. I mean, I'm, my heart is torn, is destroyed for all these people. I, but I can't tell you why Steve did what he did. It doesn't, it's so far over the side of the cliff from Steve that I knew. Did he grouse about people? Yes. If you went into, I mean, you guys, come on. If you, you go in, do any of you guys ever gamble at all? When you gamble and you win, you're all happy. It doesn't matter if you're up $500. When you lose, you're not happy. So, you know, you're unhappy that you lost because you think you lost. But there's no, that's not, I mean, Steve didn't gamble that way. Steve gambled as a job. Eric, what, uh, what's the status of the FBI and, and your family? They what? haven't talked to me at all. I know nothing from them. They aren't, I have to find out stuff about that. I from you were working with federal I was yesterday. <laughs> Nobody has got. I mean, I found out about this hundred thousand dollars on the web. Uh, somebody texted me. If it's true, I'm sorry. If it's not true, but once again, it. I mean, here I can talk to that because it fits exactly into what I would expect from Steve. That he took care of Mary Lou. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. The fact that he took care of Mary Lou, and then killed all these people. There's just no connection there for me. I don't understand how Steve got to that point. That's why, I mean, once again, and maybe we'll never know. I don't know. But we, I mean, I'm praying. I mean, and even, there's no, so he lost $4 million, so Mary Lou broke up with him. That, that's not even... That wouldn't even do it for Steve because he'd go on. We've had setbacks and we're in the real estate business in L.A. back when the bottom fell out of it. We almost lost all of our savings. We just went on. I mean, there's no... I mean, we're pragmatic people. We just... I mean, we, we, we keep going. That's why this not keeping going, there was something that happened to Steve that... I, I'm not even trying to excuse anything or anything, but something happened that drove him into the pit of hell, and and he did this. Uh, but it, you're hoping that there's some autopsy will reveal something to explain. I'm praying for at least some data points because otherwise it's it's you know the the bug in Men in Black put on a Steve suit and went and did this. I mean, there's no other. There's no other rationalization. 
I mean, he didn't plan this for 35 years. There's, it just, he didn't plan this for 35 years. This happened to my brother. Whatever caused him to do this happened in a very, once again, I don't know what a very short time period is to you, but this happened over the course of months. It happened over the course of months. And here's what I say to the people. I mean, I mean, if they're trying to understand Steve, I mean, maybe no one will ever understand Steve. But you know, this is what I'll carry for the rest of my life. You know, had I called him back instead of texting, would I have heard something in his voice? Would I have? Would I? Would he have given up something? Would he have? I don't know. I can't say. That's what I'm going to carry for the rest of my life. That maybe I could have intervened. But I don't, I, I, that's pure conjecture. For the people who have been affected by this, if there was anything I could do to make this better, if there was anything I could do to make this better, I would do it. And I, I'm, I mean, nobody wants to hear this, but I'm as touched by this, my brother's dead, who, wasn't this guy who did this? You know, he's dead. And I liked my brother. <laughs> he was a good guy. I know this is, you know, nobody wants to hear this, but damn. I, you know, if you knew Steve, once again, people 20 years ago who have no reason to say anything nice about him or anything, or say nice things about him. People who don't even know him hardly. I'm... This is a horror, just a, a horror story in every possible way. It's the bad twist at the end of a good movie, you know, at the end of a good movie or something. It's, it's, how in the hell did this happen? Hey, Eric, what do you know? What facts do you know about the last weeks or months of Stephen's life? What, do you know anything or is it just blank? I don't know anything exactly specific about the last month of Steve's life. Except that he called my mom and talked to her. And I don't even know specifically he had multiple residents and he stayed in hotels. I don't even know necessarily where he called from because I just, I don't ask those things. You don't know how long Mary Lou had been in the Philippines either. No. Right but here's Eric's, you know, here's another Eric's conject for sure for the day. What they normally did, <laughs> they drove into Vegas and they stayed at the hotel for a night, had dinner, relaxed, etc. And then they flew out to go on a cruise, or she flew out to go to see her daughter, or, or to see her relatives overseas, or she she went off to do something. He usually sat around the casino and gambled, because that's kind of what he did. Yesterday you were wondering about where he got the automatic weapons. It's come out that he purchased two buff stocks, which are... Those can... aren't, I mean, those are things that you add to a gun that don't, that only make two, you know, sort of semi-automatic weapons, sort of automatic. I mean, I don't know. They showed pictures of guns. You know, if he had that many guns, did he have real, and once again, this is, who knows? Did he have fully automatic weapons? The, I, I don't know this anymore. The feds don't, aren't telling me anything. So, you know, the pictures you're, what you're hearing from the feds is more than they're telling me. Because, of course, they don't want to tell me anything because, in case I'm lying to them or something. What do you think of him making that purchase? That he bought the stuff to make it automatic? Well, of course. He probably... Again, do you want to understand Steve? 
Yeah, that's what we're all Okay. Here. Steve bought those bump stock things. Were they attached to guns when they found them? All I know is they were Okay. Find out if they were attached to guns. He may have had them in the bag because he tried them and didn't like them. Have any of you ever fired an automatic weapon? It's not fun. You can go do it for, you know, you give them some money and they'll let you go shoot a machine gun in, in Las Vegas. Okay? It's not fun. I mean, you have to be a little weird because it beats the crap out of you. It's, and Steve was beat up and a little, you know, he was, he had, his knees were sore and he'd fallen in the casino and his leg hurt and all this stuff. So he wasn't going to hold, you know, they said, how did Steve get the stuff up to the, to the, the room? Steve didn't get the stuff up to the room. He gave a kid a hundred bucks and the kid brought it up on a little gold trolley. Steve didn't carry anything up to the room. Okay. The... And if the pictures show up showing me wrong there, then it's, uh, you know, I'll be a little surprised. Because Steve didn't carry stuff. Did you boys grow up around guns? Who? You and your brother? Not in any way, shape, or form. Until we were late teenage, did we ever... My mom's not into guns at all. Her husband went to jail for robbing banks with a machine gun. My mom is not into guns for some reason. (laughs) But, you know, Steve would have taken that silly bump stock thing, whatever it is, and tried it. But if you have to hold the gun, I mean, they're saying he had tripods. That would be exactly what Steve would do. Because you can't hold a machine gun and shoot. You're not going to, a normal person is not going to hold a machine gun and shoot a hundred rounds out of it. It'd rip your shoulder off. If you've ever shot a real rifle, you don't pull the trigger on a 223 a bunch of times. I mean, I have a fake shoulder. But it's not because of guns, but I could not even shoot a two twenty three if I wanted to anymore. So, and I don't own one. I don't own a, you know, a semi-automatic, well, I do. I own a twenty two caliber little semi-automatic rifle that I taught my children how to shoot little targets at the range with. But you, you don't shoot an automatic weapon. That is Steve. Steve said, I mean, this is what's so... This is why, like I said, it's the insanity of it. When Steve decided to do this, he still had his thinking brain on because he did all this stuff. He procured this stuff. I mean, he would get a tripod to put the damn gun on because then you can easily fire the gun. That makes sense. I mean, these are just logical things. This is no great leap. Do you I mean, he, relationship with Mary Liz, like where they met, what they, what they were like together. He met her. She was the host. She was. I mean, someone refreshed my memory. She was a hostess at the Atlantis. Steve was a big fish at the Atlantis in Reno. We what were. were they like we. Together? They were adorable. Steve's this big. She's this tiny thing. He. Uh, he loved her. I mean. <laughs> I mean, he doted on her. I mean, it's, like I said, but you're not going to, maybe she has pictures of this, maybe her side of the family or the kids took pictures of this, but you don't, once again, I... We're getting our first reaction from the family of the Las Vegas shooter. This is the brother of the Las Vegas shooter who clearly is still processing the actions of his brother, that this, he was behind the worst shooting in recent U.S. history. We are learning that, according to the brother, he was highly intelligent, highly successful, and very generous to his friends and family, and that he came from a family of four. His mother was a secretary, and his father had left the kids alone.
one more way For all of the careful planning Never thought it could end this way I just wanna say I love you Network on iTunes, and don't forget to rate and review while you're there. You can also download the Stitcher and Podbean app to your device for free and search D2R Podcast Network and subscribe. If you enjoy listening to the shows on the D2R Podcast Network, then spread the word to everyone you know. Your word of mouth is our best advertising method, and we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.
Hey, Dave. Hey, Ryan. You know what time it is? Yeah, it's still time for the Twisted Crypt Haunted House. No way. Have they ever won any awards? Oh, my God, have they ever? This is their seventh season, and in the last six years, they've won top ten haunted house by hauntedillinois.com. Wow. What are their hours again? Oh, Fridays and Saturdays, 7 to 11.30, and Sunday, 7 to 10. But where are they located? Oh, it's easy. 5420 East State Street in Rockford, Illinois, right behind Uncle Nick's and Tom Jerry's. Awesome. I'll see you there. Hell yeah. great deals on Amazon by first going to d2rpn.com and clicking the Amazon banner. By doing so, you're helping out the D2R Podcast Network. Don't forget to tell a friend and thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. If your guy or girl's got facial hair that's kind of not smelling right, not feeling right, not all that great, go to phoenixbeardoils.com today. We've got scents that every guy and girl will like. Every kid likes to play with your beard. Why not give them something to smell nice as well? Go to phoenixbeardoils.com and give somebody that great bird today. Question, comment, or concern? 872-242-8311. Or maybe you'd just like to hear your voice instead of ours. 872-242-8311. Then call the D2R Podcast Network hotline at USA Chat 311. That's 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. No matter the time or day, you can call 24-7 and operators will be standing by. 872-242-8311. Your call is important to us. 872-242-8311. So once again, USA Chat 311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. 